This is an ABC podcast. Hello and welcome to the Friday Sporting Edition of Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Richard Hewitt. So coming up, one, two, or could it be three? Men's Rugby Sevens teams from the Pacific at the Paris Olympics. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah, all of small island nations will qualify for the Olympics. It would be a fantastic achievement. He might be close to 40 when the time comes, but the Buller Boys' new coach has Roy Krishna firmly in his World Cup plans. Ultimately, he's an excellent player. There's no denying that. And also, he's someone who looks after himself. So, you know, longevity is not an issue, in my opinion. And you can't forego that level of experience. So Roy will be absolutely crucial through the whole campaign. And sporting wars in Vanuatu over the sudden loss of three tennis courts. But the other thing that we got really annoyed is that we were not even consulted, which is a total lack of respect from the sports commission. And we felt betrayed. More from Cyril Mangi, the president of the Vanuatu Tennis Federation, and more about that spat later in the programme. We start in Fiji, where the National Sports and Olympic Committee, Fastenoch, has been holding talks with the Prime Minister with a view to putting in a bid to host the 2031 Pacific Games. More immediately, Fastenoch is busy preparing for the Commonwealth Youth Games in August and then the Pacific Games in Honiara in November. Underpinning those preparations is a new drive to raise brand awareness about sports outside the dominant rugby codes. The strategy to be rolled out over the next decade is based on four pillars, the athletes, the national federation, strategic collaboration and internal governance. Overseeing all this is the new chief executive of Fasenok, former sailor, swimmer, triathlete and va'a racer Vanessa Kilner. And unlike the Fiji Rugby Union and the Fiji NRL, her organisation has not come under scrutiny from the new government. Fasenok is quite independent. We don't come under government. We have to remain separate. We have to have autonomy because that's just how IOC operates. But at the end of the day, it's all about governance. We have our General Assembly every single year. We're independently audited. We're governed by IOC through ONO. So can we quit? You know, can we raise the funds? Are we able to say where our funds are going? Absolutely. But we have to. We're managed by a board. So there's multiple layers that Fasenot goes through. One of the issues that has been raised in Fiji recently is the way that perhaps the rugby codes are cherry picking talent, say, for example, from track and field athletics. And some will make it as rugby players, be it rugby union, rugby league, rugby sevens. Most will not. Is that a concern for you? that this kind of poaching, if you like, goes on and it perhaps needs to be more controlled? I'm not sure that we can control athletes that switch codes. Sports is all about passion, eh? And dreams are different for people. And some people, they change their codes because they know that they'll get there quicker to achieve their dream. And yes, while it is a concern, I don't think we can stop it. What we can do, though, is strengthen the brand of athletics. And this is what I talk about is strengthening our brand. How do we actually strengthen all of the other sports? First, to grow the base and second, to keep them. But if athletes are switching codes and switching sports, we just have to encourage them because at the end of the day, they're still physical. eh? They're still representing Fiji. There's still talent that they're showcasing. The trick, though, for the individual sports 
is how do they keep that talent? And we can't do that for them. That's not a mandate. And that's why I say, you know, my blanket strengthening the brand is about growing awareness of the sports. Why do I need to do that? To increase the participation. What about the role that high performance plays in all this? What do you think of where Fiji is at in terms of providing high performance training, high performance backup for athletes in whatever sport they happen to be in? Is there more that needs to be done? Does there need to be a a national centre established? So that's a hot topic right now. Obviously, rugby has high-performance centres. I understand that football has academies. And on our path to Brisbane 32, it's something that we're all talking about. So in Farsanot, we have a high-performance commission, and that's made up of all these trainers, Olympians. They come together, and what they do is they provide services to all of these other sports. They provide SNC coaching. They provide technical information. Where do we want to go? We have a long way to go in terms of high performance. What we've got so far, we've managed. We've managed and we've produced some awesome athletes. Is it enough? It's not. And so we've just come out of the ONOC General Assembly in Brisbane. And it was a discussion that we started and we will continue to have because it is the pathway to Brisbane 32 and beyond, basically. So the discussion now is around, do we have a centre? Where is that centre? How does it happen? Do we actually establish the centre in Australia? Do we send our people in Australia? So all of that is open discussion right now. And as soon as something comes up, I'll be sure to let you know. But we all agree that high performance is key. We all agree that whatever we've been doing in the past, we cannot repeat it and expect a different outcome. And so I think you will start to see a shift into the high performance space from Fiji as a country and as well as the sports in general. So, you know, I mean, even rugby has offered their high performance center, their technical people to all the other sports, which is amazing because it truly means that we're one sporting family. And looking to the future, 2032, the Olympics being viewed as as the Pacific Olympics because... They're on the doorstep for the first time (laughs) since Sydney in in 2000. Building towards that, though, would you, for example, see Fiji bidding for a future Pacific Games? Um, 2027 goes to Tahiti, but what about 2031? Could you have a Pacific Games the year before the Olympics? It would be the perfect build-up. It would be absolutely perfect. It's something that we are looking at. We are actually having discussions with the Prime Minister and the Sports Minister and the Permanent Secretary for Sports. It's an absolute desire to have the 2031 Pacific Games in Fiji. Absolutely. But we're not at that stage. We need to agree collectively that we can have it, that our facilities will be ready, the sports that we can have. So what we're going to do is we're going to most definitely plug it into our pathway. Then we need to come together and then you will see something perhaps come out during the Pacific Games in November because that's really where you have an expression of interest. But I don't believe the calls for a submission will happen until early next year. First quarter next year, I think, is when they're going to open up the submissions. And I think we'll be in a better position to actually say, we're going to do this. But in terms of a build-up and the pathway to 32, it would be the perfect step to get there. So Fiji 2031, possibly to host the Pacific Games. It's certainly the wish of Vanessa Kilner there, Chief Executive of Fasanok, the Fiji Association of Sports and National Olympic Committee. Incidentally, she was the race director and venue manager for the VAR event at the 2003 Pacific Games when they were last held in Fiji in Suva. (laughs) 
Yeah, we're at the Pacific Beat here on ABC Radio Australia. It's the Friday morning sporting edition. Going to turn our attention now to the world game because the OFC Champions League finals kick off in Vanuatu over the weekend with the first pair of matches in Group A featuring defending champions Auckland City taking on Solomon Warriors and Suba will play Lupe Olesoanga from Samoa. The first games in Group B will be on Monday with if you're a Blackbird from the host nation taking on Hakari United from PNG. And then there's an all-French clash between A.S. Perret from Tahiti and New Caledonia's Tiga Sport. We're joined now from Port Villa by the communications manager for the Oceania Football Confederation, Matt Brown. Uh, Matt, good morning. Welcome to Pacific Beats. Good morning. Thanks very much for having me. Now, uh, Auckland City are the champions, but um, the last time they won it, there'd been a bit of a gap between their, their previous win after a great long run of uh, winning the OFC Champions League. So they're not necessarily guaranteed to win this time, are they? Which sometimes has looked the case. This is a much more open tournament. Oh, I think it certainly is. Uh, I mean, I, if you look at the standard of, of football in the region, it's certainly... Um, I think it's uh, it, it's increasing, um, and that's, that's not just through um, you know funding and and um, and some of the uh, commercial arrangements that are now in place. But teams are getting more professional, particularly around the Pacific Islands. Um, there's a big, huge goal of Oceania Football to establish a professional league in, in 2025, which will elevate it you know to another level. But what I've seen, certainly um, having watched. Um, a lot of the uh, the national playoff matches, uh, two teams from from each country that vied to get into the into the league itself. And um, there's certainly some teams with uh, you know, very good technical skills, some good structures, and I the likes of the Suva FC um, side who are impressive in Fiji, the uh, Tahiti side AS Parade, certainly a lot of good technical players there. They're going to be very strong. And it is going to be fascinating because Auckland City are without their talisman, the, the man who really got them into the into this uh, tournament. Um, they were 3-1 down in the second league of their playoff against Wellington Olympic with about 25 to go. And Emiliano Tade, uh, the veteran, stepped up and uh, scored a hat-trick. Beautiful free kick to get them back into it as all, as the Wellington team went really defensive. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it changed the course of the game. He's out with a serious knee injury. He's out for about 10 weeks in domestic football. So he won't be here leading the line. And, uh, and really, um, that is a big blow for Auckland City. But they do have depth. They still go in as favourites. And in a group which will really be, I think, between them, Suva FC, and the unknown quantity, a little bit of the Solomon Warriors, the Solomon Islands players, incredibly fast, incredibly skillful, whether they can be unified on the pitch and have that team cohesion remains to be seen. Lupe Olesawanga, well, they've unfortunately been a bit decimated from the side that was here, uh, was in Serapia for the tournament in February, the qualifying tournament where they, they won very easily um, a number of their players unavailable um, for various reasons and so quite quite a lot of changes to their squad so they're really probably coming you'd have to say the qualifiers for a bit of a learning experience to, to test themselves against a higher quality of opposition that group now, um, if you're a Blackbird representing uh, Vanuatu in the other group uh, representing the, the host nation, I mean, one thing there won't be a shortage of, I think, being Vanuatu is support. You're going to get good attendances, I think, for these games, which will be nice because uh, OSC Champions League has struggled over the years to pull in the crowds. Look, they have been waiting for this for a long time. I mean, this is their big opportunity. I arrived last night after, I think, you know, and one of the things is, you know, it's to travel to get here. It's not always that easy. For example, you know, I think my day started at five o'clock at Auckland Airport 
in the morning um, and I got in at about quarter to 10 last night, you know, via Melbourne and delays and, and things like that. Uh, not too many airlines are flying here direct. So from a, you know, from a country point of view to showcase Vanuatu, its tourism potential or what it's got, it's quite phenomenal, clearly. Um, and hopefully a tournament like this can really showcase you know what Vanuatu has to offer and we received an incredible welcome at the airport I mean the smiles the singing the um it was just fantastic both for I was on a a flight with (coughs) excuse me the Auckland City the Hikari United team were also on that flight and so uh yeah it was just terrific to see you know the enthusiasm for the from the moment you land here and I think what I understand, and it is my first trip here, uh, but the people, they're so passionate about football. And the crowds, you know, tiny stadiums, six, 7,000 people in both venues, uh, Portland and Luganville, will make it well, for a terrific exit, uh, you know, terrific occasion. And also, you know, it'll be noisy throughout. It is what, is what you want to see in football, isn't it, Richard? And, uh, and um, you know, atmosphere um, adds so much to, to any sporting occasion, and, and we'll certainly get that, I think, for every Champions League game, not just in the Vanuatu And the home side, I think, I mean, they're very, very keen to make an impact here. Uh, It's the first time Ifira have been in the finals of the AOC Champions League. They've been in Australia recently playing a series of of warm-up games. I mean, they're very determined to make an impression, aren't they? Yeah, and that's the really good thing that they went across to Brisbane, they went across to Australia to actually do, you know, have a really good build-up, play against some good teams, and um, and you know prepare themselves in the best possible way because their group is going to be brutal. That's to me is you know if you you think of World Cups and you eat, I know they're cliches, but they're groups of death and and there's only a two it's a two pool tournament of course, but but Group B does look to be incredibly even. You know, four teams where I as I speak right now cannot tell you which two will be the two that advance to the semi-finals, which is what you want in sport, but they're even. Um, Hikari will be dangerous. That's the first time for a number of years that they've been in the Champions League. They're the, probably the most um, established club in, in in Papua New Guinea. They've got a rich, long history, um, and 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 they have got a lot of young players, but you know they're talented players, and and they'll be competitive. And I think you know the New Caledonian and, and Tahitian boys, the two French-speaking uh, territories here, they will both be very, very and. Uh, and it's going to be hard. It's a really tough group, and the home crowd will lift those Wahoo players. Really look to see in Group B. Of course, the cross and then the top two um, crossover, first place, second in each pool in the semi-finals, um, and uh, the winners go to the fi- the winners go to the final, which will determine that uh, the last annual. Club FIFA Club World Cup, which is in Saudi Arabia in December, before this new format emerges um, for 2025, and we're still a little bit uh, detail. I think it's still come out around what will happen going forward, but there's also been talk that you know the Champions League tournament will be every year, and there will be a tournament for champions as well as this big 32-team tournament sort of every four years that FIFA will be running. So, um, but yeah, lots to play for, and, and you know, and a lot of excitement here. We'll leave it there, Matt. Thank you very much indeed for joining us from Port Villa. Enjoy the tournament. We've got a couple of good weeks of soccer to look forward to. Thanks for your time. Anytime. No problem. 
That's Matt Brown there, communications manager for the Oceania uh, Football Confederation, just off the plane last night in Port Villa and preparing for the kickoff of the OFC Champions League uh, this Sunday. In fact, just to repeat, the opening games, Auckland City versus Solomon Warriors, Suva up against Lupe Ole Soanga from Samoa, but they are in a bit of a state, unfortunately, the Samoans. They pretty much lost their whole team from qualification, um, essentially due to misunderstandings of bureaucracy, I think is the way you would put it. And then in Group B, Ifira Blackbird, the host team, taking on Hikari United from PNG and AS Perret from Tahiti against New Caledonia's Tiga Sport. Those games will be on Monday and we'll bring you up to date, no doubt, in the sporting edition of Pacific Beat this time next week. Pacific Beat. Now, we stay with soccer because when qualifying begins for the 2026 FIFA Men's World Cup, Oceania will have a guaranteed place for the first time ever. Although AFC has yet to decide on how regional qualifying will work, history tells us that the spot at the top table will almost certainly go to New Zealand. But for the Pacific Island nation that finishes runners-up to the All-Whites, there would now be a second chance to make finals by coming through inter-confederation playoffs. And that's the target for the new man at the helm of Fiji's national men's team, Rob Sherman, previously technical director with both New Zealand Football and Football Federation Australia. He's also served as high-performance consultant for OFC. He signed a three-year deal with the Fiji FA, and he believes all the ingredients are there to get the Buller Boys to the World Cup finals for the first time ever. Well, I think there's a good foundation here in many ways. It's a very progressive FA. They've you know, got the balance between development and performance, uh, and they're moving in the right direction. So there's a very good foundation in that regard. In terms of domestically, the National League is pretty robust. So the players are you know, training and playing regularly at decent standards. So from a domestic point of view, that means that we can regularly scout and select the best players. We'll have the opportunity of having regular contact using the FIFA windows to the fullest, which is a, a major plus as well. So uh, generally, I think things are in a good starting position. Obviously, we can make things better. And, you know, we have a decent window to do that because the actual qualifiers are 2025. So, you know, that gives us an 18-month window in which to get that right. In terms of getting things right, I assume one of the things that you would like to do as coach is obviously play other international sides from outside Oceania. But traditionally, that, that's never been the easiest thing to organise. And, and COVID didn't help, but it, it seems maybe times are changing. Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely. We are very open to, uh, you know, uh, expanding our experience outside the Oceania region. So we'll be canvassing certain nations to see whether we can arrange fixtures in the windows. And that's not to deny that there isn't a benefit of playing within the region. Far from that. But, you know, it is good to have a wider experience. And as regards selection of players, uh, I would assume that the bulk of them will come from within Fiji. But will you be casting the net wide looking for players within the diaspora that maybe haven't come to Fiji's attention yet? Absolutely. We will be looking at internationally based players in quite a degree to be a candidate. So, you know, any listener out there who's actually Fiji eligible and playing a, at a standard that's, you know, MPL or above, then, you know, we'd like to hear from them. And in terms of getting through that qualification process, on paper, it looks quite difficult. If we assume that uh, New Zealand would get through as Oceania's uh, number one, coming through as, as the second team, as it were, involves a multi-team playoff, similar to that which the PNG women's team went through a few months ago but bearing in mind all the problems they had in the lead up they actually didn't do too badly so maybe it's not such an unrealistic prospect well, I think the thing is, if you capitalise on the FIFA windows, you know, you, we've probably got something like six to seven windows prior to the actual 
Nations Cup, the Oceania qualification, in which to develop our way and our methodology. And then obviously, if you're successful and get the point five place, then you, you know, you're going into a playoff in a little bit more advanced state than the PNG women. So, I mean, Spencer did a fantastic job in preparing them in a relatively short time and they did do very well. So, you know, I think with long distance planning, we can put ourselves in a position where we are competitive and would have a decent chance. And what about the Roy Krishna factor? He continues to do extremely well, been playing in the Indian Super League for the last few years. He's 35 now, so come 2026, he'll be pushing 40. But I assume you would want him to be involved in some way or another. Well, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, you know, he's an excellent player. There's no denying that. And also, he's someone who looks after himself. So, you know, longevity is not an issue, in my opinion. And you can't forego that level of experience. So Roy will be absolutely crucial through the whole campaign. And we have uh, the Under-20 World Cup coming up very soon, of course, with with Fiji heading off uh, to play in Argentina. How much involvement will you have in that, bearing in mind, obviously, you've only recently signed the contract? Well, I've been working with the team for the last six weeks. Unfortunately, I can't actually go to Argentina. I have some prior commitments in the UK, which I need to sort out. But the boys have made rapid strides in that period. And it's you know actually been very heartening to see the level of understanding, the level of uh, ability to transfer you know, from practice to pitch. I think they'll equip themselves very well. You know, I wouldn't like to put them under any pressure in terms of what the results might look like, but they've done extremely well and should be proud of themselves. Qualification for the 20s World Cup is a fantastic showcase for some of these players. It is often the one in which clubs recruit from. At 17, they might consider the player still an unknown quantity. At 20, they're becoming more mature and more, if you like, ready for first-team football. So it's a good window. And I think that this is a very untapped region without any shadow of a doubt. And one of your previous roles was head of high performance at OFC, the Oceania Football Confederation. What's your assessment, if you like, of the, of the state of play within the region, particularly as we edge towards what we're told is going to be a professional league established in, in a year or two's time? Well, there's massive potential here. I think most people would agree with that. The, uh, the sort of athletic capability within the region is fantastic. The enthusiasm for sport is very high. And, you know, football is highly regarded as a sport in its own right. And, uh, and they've had a long tradition of playing both domestically and internationally. So I think the region has enormous potential. And obviously, if a professional league manifests itself, then that's going to be a massive bonus to each and every nation because they'll have players in an environment where they're captive to the football environment, if you know what I mean, meaning that in the best way. So I think the region's on the launching pad for some massive strides. Rob Sherman played international soccer for his native Wales, also played professionally for Cardiff City, Swansea City and Hull City in the various English divisions and after a long history of coaching as well, there he is as Fiji's national men's soccer coach, hoping to get the team through to the 2026 World Cup. Inzane Rugby League on ABC Radio Australia. Hosted by ABC Sport commentator Zane Bojack. Inzane Rugby League is a weekly look at the lighter side of rugby league. Featuring game insights, latest news and interviews with rugby league legends and from around the edges. So close to the action, you can almost taste the turf. Inzane Rugby League, Tuesday nights at 6pm PNG time on ABC Radio Australia. Your home of rugby league in the Pacific. Hold the front page. So 
Time to take a look at some of the news stories uh, making headlines uh, around the region on this Friday morning. And uh, here with a wrap for us is Carl Evans. Carl, good morning to you. Good morning to you, Richard. Uh, Papua New Guinea's Foreign Minister Justin Tachenko. He's been the talk of the Pacific for the last 24 hours or so. He's apologised now for using offensive words, words which he used on this very program, in fact, to describe the critics of his daughter on social media. So he's back down, basically, yes? Yes, that's right. So uh, the PM, James Marape, has released a statement detailing uh, Mr. Tachenko's apology yeah, for describing social media cri- critics of his daughter as primitive animals. So Minister Tachenko was actually summoned to explain the circumstances behind the outburst, uh, according to that statement, uh, and said it was not directed at all Papua New Guineans, uh, but it was a spur-of-the-moment response to social media attacks on his daughter, like you mentioned. Uh, those were those attacks. They refer to the outraged aimed at his daughter, who posted uh, a controversial video on social media, enjoying some of those lavish luxuries at the expense of the taxpayer while attending the king's coronation visit. And uh, Mr. Barape said in that statement that he himself was actually among those who was offended uh, by by what his foreign minister said, and the government should not be making such remarks against against its citizens under any circumstances. Now, um, the opposition leaders come out and said Mr. Tachenko should just basically be uh, sacked. I mean, is there going to be further repercussions here? Any punishment? Any suspension? Do we know? Yeah, not not that I read, and and, and that that is quite interesting. Yeah, given given exactly what what he said, uh, but the. PM has appealed to citizens far and wide who have been offended, basically just to to forgive him and uh, and stand united against uh, um, and stand united regardless of colour or creed. He also made mention of uh, Joe Biden's historic visit, which will obviously shine a spotlight on the country. And you probably can't help but think, given the timing of that, he probably doesn't want to uh, take punitive actions against his foreign minister with such a high profile politician coming to town. No, but of course uh, that uh, foreign minister will be front and centre when <laughs> President Biden arrives. That makes that visit even more interesting than it was already. It certainly does. Now, a trial date has been set for Fiji's uh, former Prime Minister Frank Bainimarama and also the suspended police commissioner of City Gileho. So when is this trial going to take place? That's right. So trial dates have been set from uh, July 17 to 28, where they will face one count each of abuse of office allegations. So the charges relate to a complaint laid with the police by the University of South Pacific in 2019 where, according to the Office of the Director of Public Prosecution, they are alleged to have arbitrarily abused the authority of their respective officers by directing for the termination of an active police investigation. Now, both were held uh, in in a Suva police cell back in March over those allegations, which were reported on quite extensively, and uh, and it appears they'll have their day in court in two months' time. In the meantime, bail has been extended to both men. Interesting times, uh Still in Fiji, next to uh, Solomon Islands, news of a crocodile attack. What's happened here? Yeah, so a bit of a bit of a sad story to end with uh, on a Friday morning, unfortunately. But a, a 40-year-old man is missing after a crocodile attacked him whilst on a diving trip uh, on Rendover Island in Western Province in the Solomon Islands. Uh, so this is reported by the Solomon Star, who spoke to the police about the attack. They said it occurred at 9 p.m. on Tuesday uh, when he went for a dive outside uh, uh, at a reef just outside of the village he's living in, yeah, Ugeli Village. Uh, I understand he did manage to yell out and alert villagers uh, during the attack. However, there was unfortunately no sign of him or the crocodile when that help finally did arrive. Uh, Search, though, I mean, they're still looking, still hoping. 
They are. It, it appears so, Richard. Um, yeah, police said the search is still on and the entire village uh, have teamed up to find him. Um, logistical challenges actually meant the police uh, weren't able to help right away, unfortunately. Uh, in the meantime, police have issued a warning to take precautionary measures while going out to sea at night. And I suppose it's just a stark reminder, Richard, that we all, we all walk a fine line sometimes. Yeah, I reckon my precautionary measure would just not to be uh, going in the water personally. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a sad story as you say. But uh, that's life in the Pacific and, mm-hmm. and life here in Australia too. Sometimes, for that matter, uh, Carl. Thank you very much indeed for those updates. It's Carl Evans there with some of the big news stories from around the region. Pacific Beat. I'm Richard Hewitt and the penultimate round of the Men's World Rugby 7 Series kicks off tonight in the French city of Toulouse with New Zealand in pole position to win the title with the top prize out of reach for Fiji and Samoa. The big incentive for the Pacific duo is Olympic qualification. Fiji appear to be on course in third place. We reckon if they make the quarterfinals, they will be just about there. Samoa are in sixth, still very much in the mix, but more work to do. Meanwhile, back in Apia, in the 15-a-side game, Samoa is hosting the World Rugby Pacific Challenge with Manama Samoa up against Tonga A, Fiji Warriors and Junior Japan. So plenty for the chief executive of Lakapi Samoa, Vincent Fabuliai, to focus on at home and away. It's interesting how it's all panned out that whoever comes out on top in the last two tournaments, especially for Australia and uh, Samoa, to try and make that fourth spot. And just to spell it out, the rules say the top four qualify for the Olympics, but currently, of course, one of those top four is France, who will be there as the host. So you can still finish fifth and make it. Yeah, as long as France stays up there. So, yeah, (laughs) just hoping that France will stay there and then uh, whoever's got the fifth place because there are other teams below us as well who could still make it. But based on, on the season so far, Samoa have been pretty consistent and of course uh, you did win a tournament which um, your neighbours mm. Fiji have, have failed to do although they are a few points ahead of you. So the potential for Samoa to seal that Olympic place is pretty good I would have thought. Confidence must be high in the camp. Yes, considering we've come out of the pandemic, it's been difficult for us to get to any international events over the last two, three years and to come back strong and uh, be part of the elite top eight consistently throughout the season has been really pleasing for us. And we have uh, worked really hard with the management uh, and the team to get almost everything that they wanted for us to support them. So uh, it will really be a real icing on the cake if we make it in the next two tournaments to qualify. And if you were to qualify, and if we assume that Fiji will qualify too, that would open the door for Tonga to qualify, you would think, as the next best nation in the Pacific at the Oceania Championships. So we could have potentially three Pacific teams among 12 at the Olympic Rugby Sevens tournament. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah, all of small island nations will qualify for the Olympics. It would be a fantastic achievement. Let me move on to the uh, Pacific Challenge, which is taking place in, mm. in Samoa at the moment. The final two matches coming up this weekend. You'll be up against Junior Japan, having already played the Tongans and, and beaten them comfortably, and then played Fiji and unfortunately didn't manage to win that game, even though you were leading at half time. So, I mean, what's your assessment of, of the young Samoan players and how they're going in this tournament? We're quite happy with the performance of the team. I thought that we were in it for up to uh, 65 minutes 
minutes of the game and then our bench I think they came on uh, didn't finish the job off but we were very pleased with the progress of some of the players well most of the players are from our academy so they haven't had much competition or experiences to play other teams before the competition but it's been really pleasing for us that we've also look at future of Mansa more that are becoming from some of the players in this squad and we've also locked in some of the players we think that's going to have uh, good careers coming up in the next couple of years through Moana Pacifica so it's been very pleasing for us And the fact that the tournament is being staged in Samoa how have the rugby loving public reacted to that? Have they been turning up in good numbers? Yeah, it's been uh, well supported I think uh, in there it's been uh, televised live on TV and then two days of the the three days uh, the tournament is held is on a Monday so it's been pretty difficult to uh, get people from work to come and support and also from schools with only one uh, field that we're using at the moment but uh, other than that it's been really good to have some content back on island in Samoa after pandemic so it's been really good for us to host these uh, regional events in Samoa. The championship the Pacific Challenge in Samoa has followed Mm. just a matter of weeks after Moana Pacifica were in Apia to take on uh, the Reds at Apia Park and and that game by all accounts was a a big success from an organisational point of view a good turnout. Is this a sign of changing times in Samoa that after being deprived of live international rugby for so long that you're beginning to build momentum now on that front and there will be more games for the fans to go and watch live? The last time we hosted this tournament was around 2007-2009, around that time. It's been a long time coming before we've hosted this event again. And I guess it's uh, with the borders reopening up again and a lot of changes coming up with the calendar of events next year with uh, regional and international competitions going to be some major changes coming as well. So it's been really exciting for us, for our people to play host to these World Rugby events. So it's been really pleasing in that respect. And as far as Super Rugby is concerned, Moana Pacifica will be back next year, will they? We hope so. I think we successfully uh, assisted them in that game against the Reds. And I think the last time a super match was held, it was the Reds and Blues a couple of years ago, which in terms of cost of tickets turned away the locals. But this time around, I think we learned our lessons. We had some really good discussions with Moana before they came to Samoa and with our local players in the team. It's been really well supported by our people. And the stated aim of Moana Pacifica is eventually to play all their home games in either Samoa or in Tonga. I guess that's going to take a few years before they can achieve that but that would mean you'd have probably what three or four games in Apia every year which would be tremendous yeah those discussions are ongoing at the moment with uh, Moana Pacifica we're looking forward to having more of their games other than just the ones off and we're also looking at them to do a bit more in terms of pre-season training and so forth and camps in Samoa or Tonga Vincent Fapuliai, CEO of La Samoa, the ruling body for Samoan Rugby. And uh, the World Rugby Pacific Challenge comes to a conclusion in Apia tomorrow. Uh, the Fiji Warriors taking on Tonga A, Manama Samoa taking on Junior Japan. So likely that Samoa will get another victory, but uh, they lost to Fiji, unfortunately, the other day. And uh, Fiji are odds on to beat the Tongans and take out the title. And after the heartbreak of losing by just a point to the Blues last weekend, Moana Pacific continue their search for a first win of the season tomorrow. That's against the Hurricanes in Wellington, the side that the Ndrua knocked off last week. And before that, this evening in Perth, talking of the Ndrua, the Fijians will be out to solidify their place in the top eight against the Western Force.
Love sport? Tune in to Can You Be More Pacific with Sarah Nangama and Dean Halatau. Jerry Tawai will not be part of the run-on team. Now, this is the first time in five years after the men's team had won the Hong Kong Sevens that he will not be featuring. Yeah, no good for Fiji. For any fans of Fiji, they'll not see him out in the field. Jerry is the king of Sevens. Oh, I probably shouldn't say that because that could rub the Serepi fans quite wrong. <laughs> Can You Be More Pacific? Thursdays from 6 PNG time on ABC Radio Australia. And you're with Pacific Beats here on ABC Radio Australia. And uh, we continue on a sporting theme, switching codes to Rugby League, because after back-to-back home games in Port Moresby, the PNG Hunters are on the road again, and they'll take on the Blackhawks in Townsville this evening in Round 9 of the Queensland Cup, a third win in a row. We'll see them move into finals mix, and for two players in particular, it could edge them closer to an NRL debut. While Maria Moreira and Roderick Ty both continue to play for the Hunters during the rest of the week, they're in the midst of a month-long training stint with the NRL new boys, the Dolphins. For Ty, it's the second stint, and he says it's great to be back on board with coach Wayne Bennett and his squad. During pre-season, when I first got the call, yeah, me and the four boys, we went there to train with them on a train-on-trial basis. And then they said uh, eight weeks. So, yeah, after the preseason, we headed back. And after playing a couple of games, they said for me to come back and train with them. So, very happy to be back. It is exciting. We we had Stanley Tepend on the show about a month ago, actually, and he mentioned that you were you were probably the standout of that off-season group of guys who got to train with the Dolphins. How did it all come about with you going back for a month this time round? Were the Dolphins hit with a few injuries, were they? I'm not sure what happened, but they, they wanted me to come back, so and they called, so I went back, yeah. Well, you're not alone. Morea Morea is with you. He's had a fantastic season so far as well in the Host Plus Cup. What does your schedule look like at the moment? Are you basically living your week in Brisbane and then rejoining the Hunters on weekends? Um, Yes. After a game, we fly back to Brisbane the next day and we train with the Dolphin squad here. And then during captain's round, we go back to do our captain's run with the Hunters boys. So we spend a week here in Brisbane and wherever the game is, we just fly there to meet the boys to captain's run and play. And has that exposure that you're getting in the NRL system and training against guys like Anthony Milford, has that improved your game when you go back to the Hunters on weekends? Yeah, bro, heaps, heaps. It's good to like see what another club does during in-season and stuff like that, how the players train, conduct themselves. And how does the training system compare to that in the Host Plus Cup? Is it is it a big step up? The system and the schedule is probably pretty much the same, except recovery-wise, the boys do a lot of resting here, I think, and those massage and ice baths and all that. But the system is a bit same. But the intensity of the training and the speed, I think, yeah, the speed is what's different. You're listening to Pacific Beat. I'm talking with PNG Hunters Centre Roderick Ty, who's been invited to train with the Dolphins for about a month. Roderick, just on that, you you're back with the Dolphins now. You actually you, you, you mentioned before you spent a lot of time with the Dolphins in the off yeah. season. Do you think you're closing in on, on an NRL debut with the Dolphins? I'm not sure about that. I'm just doing my um, best training and all that. So. 
I really don't have an answer about that right now. Yeah. <laughs> so there's been no uh, been no assurances from Wayne Bennett or the Dolphins coaching staff. They haven't pulled you aside and said, "Oh, okay, if you keep doing well, we we might call your name in a couple of weeks." I, I can't answer that too. <laughs> I'm sorry. What would that mean to you if they did that? Would it be a dream come true? Yeah, obviously that that's a dream. So it will be a dream come true. Well, Hopefully it's uh, it's not too far off, and not only with you, but with More More as well. Um, just on More, he, he's had a fantastic season uh, so far in, in the Host Plus Cup. Has it surprised you how good he's been in his first year? He's been a, like a good player in our local comp back back at the PNG. It's really surprising the way it stood up and for a debutant like that is really surprising. Yeah, because I imagine it's a really big step up from the Digicel Cup to the Host Plus Cup, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is, it is. And uh, and before we go, Roderick, you're, you're currently 3-3 three and three on the season at the moment with, I think, one draw. You've won a couple of games in a row now. Uh, Townsville Blackhawks this weekend. What, what do you make of that game? Townsville Blackhawks are a good team. They have young boys from the Cowboys and all that. And I think coming off from two wins, I think it's going to be a challenge for us. A little bit of wind in the background there, but uh, you could hear the PNG Hunters Centre, Roderick Ty speaking to our reporter, Kyle Evans. So it is the Hunters against the Blackhawks in Townsville tonight, and then in the Ron Massey Cup, the Kaibiti Silktails are back in action this weekend in Sydney, where they'll play the Wentworthville Magpies tomorrow. Now, the sport of tennis has taken a hit in Vanuatu after half the country's international standard courts were reallocated and remarked for futsal matches. The Vanuatu Tennis Federation has been blindsided by the National Sports Commission's decision to repurpose the Corman courts, a move which they say happened without prior notice. The courts have been a boon for the development of tennis in Vanuatu since they were built for the 2017 Pacific Mini Games, with more than 200 children registered, that is, before COVID-19 struck. Nick Fogarty has been speaking to VTF President Cyril Mangi, who says the loss of the courts has amplified the damage already caused by the pandemic and then two cyclones earlier this year. I was overseas and I came back and I noticed that between court two and three and three and four, that the dividing fences were removed and futsal lines were being painted. So I sent an email to, to the chairman of the commission, who's the director general for the Ministry of Sport, copied to the CEO. And then last week, the CEO came and met us at the tennis club because we were hosting the West Pacific Regional Championship, only to tell us that, yeah, he's taken the decision to turn it into a multi-purpose. So no consultation, nothing. And so, so it was a big surprise. So we normally work very closely with our stakeholders, but we thought this time we have to go public because we, we felt that we've done everything that the sports commission have asked us. They said they want the courts to be used, so we had a big development program. They want international events. We had regional and ITF uh, tournaments because they said they want you know improve sports tourism, which we did. And every year we had a yearly contract with them, an agreement, and we spent quite a lot of money because every year we had to maintain the courts, so that was in the agreement. So, yeah, it's like a big uh, big stab in the back. So if there were these contracts in place for the Tennis Federation's continued use of these courts, surely you have legal avenues to stop this and are you pursuing them? Yes and no, because it was a yearly. We've been we've been trying to to ask them for a long-term management agreement, but 
actually the painting was peeling off the coats. I guess the Chinese contractors didn't do the best job in the world. So some of the coats uh, painting were peeling off. So we had yearly agreement. Unfortunately, in 2023, we hadn't signed any agreement yet. So I've already got some comments saying, oh, but you know, we this year you didn't do the agreement. Well, every year we draft the agreement and then we get them to sign. So, um, yeah. Uh, so legally speaking, I mean, we don't want to yeah, legally engage against the sports commission. This is the Vanuatu government and the sports commission. We want to work hand in hand. But what we are requesting is for the government to do an investigation and get a commission of inquiry into the sports commission. I mean, you know, every year. Every federation, we get asked to provide financial reports, yearly reports uh, to the VASANOC, which is the Olympic Committee, to the department. We do it. And now, you know, it's our turn to ask the sports commission, you know, has the CEO reported? Where's all the money that we paid? How come, you know, they can do this to us? So that's where we stand. We, I mean, we're not going to go legal against our government, but we are putting pressure, hopefully, for them to revert their decision, to put back the courts the way they were, and then for us to even you know, uh, seek help from maybe International Tennis Federation because I was already talking to them, you know, after the damage, uh, there's a special funds that we can tap into, but we need proper agreement in place. So, yeah, so please, uh, government, do an investigation and and report. I mean, the, the CEO is not doing the right thing with us tennis. I, I know on the other side with beach volleyball, they've done the same thing. They've removed one of the courts to turn uh, the area into beach soccer. I mean, I, I have nothing against futsal and soccer, but the common grounds are very big. Why come and step onto other people's uh, infrastructure? If the three courts are permanently repurposed for futsal, how much might that harm the development of tennis in Vanuatu? We've lost common at the moment because, I mean, three uh, courts, two, three, and four are in the middle. So now there's one court on one end on the of the courts and then two other courts there. Uh, but on Saturdays, we had six courts full of kids. So now it's going to be fully impacted. Our full development program, our training, because now we have to go back to tennis club and share. So over there, we only have access to three courts instead of six at common. So it's more than 50% of our, of our training, development programs, all the programs will be affected. Vanuatu is hosting the Melanesian Futsal Cup next year in 2024. So doesn't that provide a fairly decent reason to fast track the development of futsal in Vanuatu, especially as you might say the national team has been outperformed by rivals like Solomon Islands in recent years? Yeah, I guess guess so. I mean, I cannot talk for the Vanuatu Football Federation, but uh, I mean, I spoke to the president of Vanuatu Football yesterday to ask him whether, you know, they were behind that, whether they were pushing. And and he told me they were not aware that in 2021, they did request to use the indoor facility at Komen. Uh, to actually train the elite team. And I know the futsal team has have just been to Fiji to play a tournament and they 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 bidding to host next year. Same with beach soccer. Um so I mean I'm I'm all for for VFF or for the football team to get proper facilities to train uh you know our elite athletes in Vanuatu to the to the best 
uh, they can, uh, but that doesn't mean they have to uh, impact other programs and they have to step onto other uh, federations' uh, facilities. Because we also have, you know, we hosted the West Pacific. We qualified 11 juniors to go to the Pacific Oceania Junior Championship in July. We need to train those kids as well. But the other thing that we got really annoyed is that we were not even consulted which is a total lack of respect from the Sports Commission and we felt betrayed. Strong words from the President of the Vanuatu Tennis Federation, uh, Cyril Mangi, speaking there to uh, Nick Fogarty. We have approached the Vanuatu National Sports Commission to reply to what Cyril has had to say, but we are yet to receive a response. And that's it from this Friday morning sporting edition of Pacific Beat. The afternoon programme will be along at 5 past 3 PNG time this afternoon. And then we're back on Monday morning with Bianca Srinivasan at 5 past 6 PNG time. Hope you can join her then. From me, Richard Hewitt, have a great sporting weekend. Listener.